0: This is The Shape of Advice, a new podcast series created by Professional Planner. My name is Matthew Smith, and I'm Head of Retail Content at Connexus Financial and Editor of Professional Planner. This series is a conversational style exploration of the advice landscape that draws on the knowledge and insights of industry thought leaders, experts, and practitioners who are forging ahead with new partnerships, augmenting business models, and adapting to new technologies. Please visit professionalplanner.com dot or get in touch to join the conversation and now please enjoy this episode we're joined today by matt heiner md joint md of net wealth and paul campbell md of zeppo good afternoon gentlemen good
1: afternoon great to be on the show
0: great to have you here as well we're taking on technology in uh, this episode of the shape of advice and matt look i just want to in- invite you to Maybe give it a little bit of a personal background and your observations over the years of advisors and their adaptation
1: and uh, comfort taking on new technology. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, one of my favorite topics, as many would know. Um, and I think when we were having a chat earlier, you pointed out that I've been in, in the ind- industry for like, two decades. And I've never actually thought about it like that. And <laughs> that reflects a lot of the gray hair in my both my hair and my beard these days. Um, but it's, it's really interesting when you talk to advisors and hear the feedback from them that, Platforms really haven't changed in that time. And I think because of the, the way that platforms and also technology, for that matter, have really incrementally um, changed over that period, um, it's very easy to forget where we came from. Um, and I think the story that I sort of tell every now and again is when I started off um, back in wealth, which was uh, 19, 20 years ago, uh, the internet really was very much in its infancy. So mm-hmm. I mean, we just forget how far we've come in, in a relatively short period of time. Um, And it wasn't uncommon when I was going in to see advisors back in sort of 2000, 2001, that you'd often walk into an advice office that wouldn't have a computer and you think, okay, this is going to be a very short meeting uh, and, you know, crawling under desks and plugging in modems and and some of those things that we really do take for granted now. Um, So the industry has come a very long way and I I was also reflecting on it this morning that, Often the sale back in the day was not which platform should I use, it's why do I need a platform? Mm. Uh, and really the comparison point at that point was that they were using a lot of retail funds, advisors that is. Uh, they were then going to a range of websites or getting a range of statements and they're collating that onto an Excel spreadsheet and they're using that spreadsheet to then deliver the, um, the portfolio review to their clients, uh, which is pretty amazing when you think about how antiquated it was and you think about what, what we're able to do and achieve these days with technology. Uh, so I think technology has clearly come a really long way in, in the 20 years. Um, and I think particularly for us at this point in time, what's been really interesting and perhaps one of the silver linings of COVID-19 um, is that really we're seeing tech adoption both at the consumer level, and I'd love to talk a bit more about that, and also the advisor level, um, really accelerate from anywhere from five to ten years. So a lot of the things that advisors and consumers have been thinking about, knowing that they should look at um, but haven't, uh, have really been brought forward and now deeply embedded into the way that we sort of operate and, and live our lives. And I think that's, that's got to be a real positive and it's it's, it's going to drive it has driven, but it's going to drive significant change, I think, across the industry for the
0: better. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're right. We've just had this um, you know, monumental moment that's obviously propelled a lot of businesses forward. Anything surprise you from what's happened in the last few months in terms of tech adoption? Or did, it, did everything
1: move in, in line with your expectations? No, I don't think anyone uh, could have expected anything to do with COVID, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. Uh, I think the most surprising thing is having, having sat on the sidelines, um, particularly over the last four years, whilst we've run our advice tech report, and watching the intention of advisors of, of what they want to do over the next 12 to 24 months and actually not doing that, uh, the speed at which advisors were able to actually regroup, get the office together uh, and operate mm. remotely in the space of, in many cases, 10 days, uh, I think that was really remarkable and, and it showed just the resilience of the industry mm. um, and probably Australia as a country as well, just how quickly we were able to uh, to get things to the place that they needed to be to, to carry on and, and deliver great services to clients and actually uh, manage client relationships um, and do that en masse at the same time as actually trying to make sure that the business could continue to operate. So um, I, I was really impressed with you know, not only our own staff but, but also how, how I think how the industry responded
0: yeah, looking forward to dig into a few of those things. But Paul, really interested in your you know, personal journey and, and how you've seen advice uh, evolve in the context of technology as well. Yeah, so
2: thanks for that. Um, yeah, I entered the industry probably around the same time as Matt. Um, about 2000, uh, came in through and working with associated planners as their IT manager in mm. those days. So, you know, faced into things like FSR, um, and then uh, was part of the Genesis Wealth Advisors uh, dealer group as a Chief Operations Officer. And then probably the only one that was reasonably notable was CEO of uh, Retirement best IRO advice group as we know it today. So for, 20, uh, for a long time, I was obviously um, on the licensee side of the business, and we heavily invested in technology all the way through that process with, with the products I'd like Dexplan. And I guess recently with uh, Zeppo and, and OPEX for the last seven years being out in the market as, as I guess, a vendor. Um, but, yeah, as, as Matt said, you know, it's come a long way. You know, if you go back to 2000, I think we were using latest notes and that was revolutionary in those days because it was moving documents through phones and modems and stuff like that. So it's it's amazing to think where we are today. So it definitely has come a long way. Um, and I think, you know, you look at COVID, for me, advisors are being facing a crisis of different forms for many years now. They've, they've been dragged through a lot of regulatory changes. They've had the GFC, um, obviously COVID. And I think our industry, from what I've observed, have coped with COVID just because they're pretty battle-ready already. They've, they've already uh, – this is just another battle that they've got to contend with. So for many, um, I found they were quite calm in the whole process um and have just gotten on with it like matt said and many are using it as an opportunity to accelerate and get their house in order while, while they've got the time yeah. so you know i think you know the the advisors are probably a lot more prepared than many other industries because of that you know what they've been through in the last 20 years
0: okay so let me press you there a little bit paul i mean what what areas uh perhaps are advisors lagging in terms of tech adoption i mean you've seen into a lot of advice practices and you've Probably um, sounds like you've you've really had that experience on both the institutionally owned and 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 now in your own um, software business. Where uh, where can the the advice industry uh, get better? It's um, a good question. I think there's there's probably I think in terms of advice
2: production, while well, as much as we've invested heavily and there's lots of products in that market, I think the reality is advice is difficult. I think that's the mm. one thing that people underestimate is. Software will do its best to solve what is an art. I think the one thing people, particularly advisors, sometimes undersell or uh, think about it being way too simple when, in fact, what they're doing is strategy and a bit of a fortune-telling. So I think that's really hard, and technology's put a lot of effort into that. I think it can go along a lot further But as technology gets smarter. Mm. But I think the probably the two biggest areas, I think, where technology can definitely help an advisor is, one, in client engagement. Yeah. Um, client portals and alike have really not been at the forefront for many years. I don't think because I think advisors, um, first and foremost, a client wants an advisor experience. So the role of a client portal has to be quite strategic. Um, some people kind of think it will solve a problem when, in fact, it's designed to do other things. And and one is to make the life and the way they deal with a client a lot more efficient. It's not going to replace the advice experience. Yeah. And I think the other bit is regulatory and compliance. That's that's becoming such a burden. Technology has to do a better job in that space to help the advisor be more efficient and administer their obligations without killing them in terms of costs. We know, you know, advice is about three to $5,000 at the moment to produce. And, and so technology needs to get quite targeted in, in helping them become more efficient so they've got more time to spend with the client. I think
0: that's that's where we should be focused. Yeah. So NetWealth um, recently acquired 25% stake in Zeppo. Um, interested in a little bit more background to this deal, Matt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The deal actually originated, I think Paul and I worked out about two years ago. We were on the way back to the, uh, the airport in the back of the cab from a dealer conference. We were just talking about what what we were respectively doing. And as the, um, as the cad trip progressed, um, it became pretty apparent that we were heading in a very similar direction. The things that we were doing were of interest to Paul and likewise there was a number of things that Paul was doing that were very interesting to us. Advisors are looking for an integrated ecosystem where they can um, produce documentation, um, run a CRM and execute on their platform with as few keystrokes as possible uh, because it's inefficient, leads to errors uh, and all the other issues that advisors be well aware of. So you've seen Morningstar start by advisor logic um, and a, a couple of others. And they've been really around how do we get closer to the advisor. Whereas from our perspective, I think Ball and the team have built a fantastic CRM um, that is, you know, very much configured for, for advice and integrated practices, being wealth accounting and, um, and um, debt advice. But the data that sits below that was really interesting for us. So it's the first time, um, certainly I've seen in the industry that an advice practice can collate all of their data. Uh, from around 25 different um, sources, whether that's zero Class, BGL, uh, could be AFG, IRS, pull it into a single database and then push that up into the different um, systems that they use, knowing that that data is actually reconciled um, and, and relevant to the individual client. And from our perspective, that means that for uh, advisors that want to work with a bundled offering, so that is Zeppo Plus Net Wealth, they can use that data and push it into our environment and display that to their clients, so providing a much richer experience for them when it comes to a client uh, experience and wanting that whole of wealth picture a practice level they're able to get really good compliance reporting and they're able to see where there's um, cross-sell opportunities, where documentation hasn't been provided etc. So it actually ticks a lot of boxes for the licensee, for the advice practice uh, and for the client and that's what we we're really excited about.
0: This episode is proudly sponsored by NetWealth. Launching 20 years ago, this ASX listed company has ranked number one for overall platform functionality and user satisfaction by investment trends for the past five years. As the financial advice landscape changes, it's important now more than ever to embrace new technology and enhance the way you do business. With this change comes your chance to innovate, explore new perspectives and realize new efficiencies. Visit the NetWealth website to learn more and get the PDS, which clients should read before making a decision. Products issued by NetWealth Investments Limited. Yeah, Paul, do you want to kind of comment on that a little bit? I mean, uh, it seems to me that advisors are happy for their service providers to kind of walk alongside them in terms of their client relationships. Yeah, I think I think the key to efficiency is the mobility of data. And I think what
2: advisors are looking for as a priority is is how do they minimise repetitive processes and how do they get connectivity between all their key systems. If you start with the dealer group, one of the biggest issues they have is just monitoring and supervision. So one thing that Zeppo does is it can collate massive amounts of information um, from the, you know, their X plans and their revenue management systems or their advisor logics and start getting really good handle on, on what is going on inside their, uh, their business from a data insights. So for people like Fortnum and and uh, Mattis uh, Fitzpatricks and other dealer groups, they're now getting real hands-on access to... Uh, client data to look for trends or, or compliance kind of monitoring and supervision. So that's a that's a really good use case. And and other groups like Fortnum are embracing the mandate data, not product type concept. So so you know, for many groups that had to mandate a solution to control the data, um, you know, I guess what we're enabling is is that groups can now say, well, let's create a data layer and then get let practices have a bit more choice about what they use as long as the data's all coming into the one you know, data lake, if you like. So that, that's what we're seeing, some good use cases. Um, and probably the other one is integrated practices, as Matt mentioned. You know, We've got practices who are, we're seeing more and more um, situations where they're trying to run a single integrated solution for the client, accounting, planning, mortgage broking. You've then got the specialist system, so then you have silos. So, so we've got businesses like Perks, large integrated firm here in South Australia, Um, You know, they get a single view of their client now. They know all the wealth positions. They know what the client's worth to them. And and that provides a massive amount of leverage for them to then run a better client experience.
1: The the big issue in the industry at the moment is that the average firm or practice has somewhere between 12 and 15 different software solutions in their business, uh, which is incredibly inefficient. So there's a lot of overlap as far as features go. um, And there's also a lot of overlap from cost and also the fact that none of those systems typically integrate. And so when you've got this sort of tech stack in, in an advice practice, Um, advisors and their staff are actually pretty frustrated. And so when someone comes to them wanting to introduce a new bit of tech or suggest a better way of doing something, there's real reluctance because they haven't had a great experience to date. They've been sold a lot of software with a lot of promises and none of it has really been delivering for them. Um, And so when you sort of take that context and there's a general frustration, I think, within the industry that, um, you know, it doesn't do what it's meant to do, um, that tech adoption does does become um, quite challenging. Uh, you've also got laggards, uh, like any industry. Uh, there's going to be people that just simply aren't interested. Um, they believe that a pen and paper uh, is the way that uh, the world should work uh, and it's going to be very hard to change them. And, you know, we certainly still come across certain practices where um, you know, that's, that's their business model and that's absolutely fine it works for them. At the other end, you've got what we call the advice tech stars and this is, I guess, a new category that we've come up with recently to try and identify and work through what are the, what are the key attributes of an advice tech star or a practice that is using technology really well. Um, and the first thing that we've noticed is that advice tech stars uh, have got a real Silicon Valley mindset. So they're happy to to try new things and to uh, experiment with new technology. But before they do that, they've got a really clear idea of of what the problem is that they're trying to solve. Uh, and be, often we see advisors adopting the new shiny tech, um, whether it's a client portal, it might be a cash flow tool, whatever it might be. Um, because they have a notion that it solves a problem for their client, but they haven't actually asked their clients, and they don't really have a notion of how that then fits into their broader service offering or their tech stack. Um, So Silicon Valley mindset, we think, is really important. Uh, But with these practices, and I think this is really the key takeaway, is that the tech that they're adopting is not only very purposeful, but they've adopted it off the back of typically a 12-month roadmap Uh, And they usually have a a dedicated resource within their business that's actually responsible for for the tech. Uh, So rather than spreading it around the business and sort of having not a lot of accountability, they've got dedicated, uh, in some cases, team, but more often than not, person uh, that is responsible for managing that that tech adoption. Um, And the results are pretty astounding. So these advice tech firms do have greater profitability. They're able to manage more clients. Uh, They manage greater FUA. They've got greater client satisfaction. Um, and so they really do highlight that those firms uh, or by investing um, and in many cases heavily into your tech, you can do, you can actually achieve the desired results that you want uh, as opposed to the experience. that so I think unfortunately a lot of the industry is having where they're spending a lot of money, a lot of time, but they're not actually getting the results because it's done in a, an ad hoc way at best. Mm.
0: It's funny, isn't it? You know, advisors and practice owners, there almost have to be experts in, it in a number of things, don't they? Technology, giving advice and also the regulatory roadmap. Do you find that, Paul, in a lot of the businesses that you've worked in and you see?
2: Yeah, I mean, they've got a complex business. It's not simple. And I think, um, you know, all the things that Matt uh, indicates, you know, I think in some ways advisors embrace technology too rapidly sometimes because that tech star, the the key point I think that Matt made is where we see success is where they manage the change really well. So don't just get a new piece of software and expect it to solve the world's problems. You need a change management plan and a strategy to underpin it. So um, I think that's the biggest challenge they have. Um, and and to, to some degree, historically, they've been mandated software if they were part of an institution licensee and choice is now emerging. So it's a bit
0: confusing as to which way to go, right? Is, it, is there a type of business out there like a professional services business, business you think that advisors should be kind of modeling themselves off? You know, is, is the advice business a bit of a different animal than other professional services
1: businesses? it's a tough one and we've had a week or two to think about this and i'm i'm actually really struggling to point to a particular industry or or company that we we would role model in this space because different people are doing it in different ways but there's there's no real standout brand i think in in wealth management uh, if you look over in the states um, united capital is probably as close to a, a sort of poster boy or girl as as i can get um and they've been very successful and most um mm-hmm. In the last year or two, sold to uh, to Goldman Sachs for, for a vast fortune. Um, but they really understood the customer journey. Um, and they started with that and then built systems to support the customer journey, mm. uh, as opposed to sort of the other way around, which leads to all sorts of issues. Um, and and it's, it's a fantastic experience. It's one that, you know, clients actually appreciate. Um, satisfaction scores are through the roof. Uh, and they're able to buy um, businesses at relatively low costs um, and drive that satisfaction up in very um, limited amount of time and generating additional referrals, et cetera. So, that's a great business?
2: Um, The one that we're observing probably with the most success, like I think, you know, it's like anything there's good and bad and middleware, but the integrated firms are the ones we see that average revenue per client, average funds under advice are much higher in integrated businesses. So, because you tend to have the client uh, wrapped around and providing that total service and you tend to pick up the more uh, affluent clients as well. So if you've got a good accounting firm, a good financial planning firm, um, you know, the evidence that we see tells us that they're they're on a really strong growth trajectory because they've got good referral sources. Um, acquisition of client books is a lot cheaper, of accounting books rather. Um, so, you know, that's what I would observe generally that we're seeing those firms probably growing the best. Um, not, notwithstanding that there's some really good financial planning businesses out there, but it's probably how you win the new client that we're observing.
0: Yeah. And and the and the best businesses you're both seeing, what are some of the aspects that kind of sets them apart, Matt?
1: Yeah, I think it really does come to client first. Um, yeah. And it sounds like a bit of a motherhood statement, but you can really tell those businesses that put the client at the centre of everything they do and build their services and um, delivery around that. Um, and I think moving forward, um, that, that's the way that all businesses are going to need to operate, whether it's our industry or other industries. Um, and the reality is that tech will play a big part of that because clients are now used to... Um, getting very um, you know, real-time, personalised service from the tech giants that we deal with you know, every hour of the day, whether that's Google or Facebook or Netflix. Um, that's the level of service and the level of experience that they expect from all of their service providers. Um, we're not unique because we're financial services um, and clients' tolerance for poor service or friction within any process is becoming less and less. We're all busy uh, and we don't have time to do things like signing documents anymore. Uh, If we want to know what our portfolio value is or interact with our advisor, uh, we want to be able to do that from our phone uh, in real time. Um, And they're the sort of experiences that are are hard to do, but are increasingly the norm. uh, And as an industry, we do need to catch up and really be focused on them.
0: Yeah. I mean, this industry is partway through a transition, the Royal Commission being a little bit of a, a line in the sand and fragmentation of the industry, that return to the IFA Kind of market. What are some of the milestones or hurdles you think are ahead for the industry, say the next three to five years? What are some of the things that advice businesses need to conquer?
1: So I think you're right. But the industry is as fragmented as I've ever seen it, um, and in, in many ways, it's, it's incredibly productive. Uh, and you know, pretty much all of the conversations that we're having, as people are looking at transitioning from their old licensee to new ones, mm. uh, also is involving a conversation um, which basically the advisor saying, "I've got a blank canvas." I get an opportunity as part of this move to now design my business for the future, and that is what are the services that I want to be delivering, who are the partners that I want to be working with, whether it's a platform, software, vendor, um, and, you know, what does my business stand for in the future? And that's um, been, you know, incredible when you think that moving licensees is incredibly challenging, picking a platforms is incredibly challenging, and many practices that we're dealing with have decided to do it all at the same time. Hmm. Uh, which is you know no insignificant feat, uh, and we're seeing a lot of the practices that we were talking to maybe a year or two ago getting to that end of that process now, uh, and they couldn't be happier. Uh, and we've seen a lot of, seeing a lot of practices now at the very start of that process that are completely confused, uh, but know that there is a better way of doing things than they have in the past, and um, really just that ability to sort of throw everything out and start again. Um, I think creating lots of really good conversations uh, around the industry and certainly within my team. Hmm. And Paul. I oh, yeah, totally agree. I think um, communities are changing. So,
2: you know, there's a lot of peer group that was institutionally um, organised. So I think the the first big challenge is um, advice is not subsidised anymore. So the real costs of providing advice are right in front of them now. So that, that forces them to think about how they do things um, now versus the future. So all those points Matt were making, I think, are absolutely what they're doing. How do I reconstruct it but also do it more cost-efficiently? Because... Um, I, you know, it's a lot, I've got full costs to bear these days. So that's the first challenge. And then I think um, the journey is really hard. Moving licensee is like moving house and uh, you've got to renovate at the same time. So um, I think we're still in transition in many ways. I think a lot of that's still playing out. Um, there are people who, have, you know, settled in, as Matt said, but I think a lot are still just getting over the move and now trying to figure out what they do next. Um, so there's a lot to happen yet.
1: Yeah, it reminded me of a great, great saying. I can't remember who said it, so if they're listening, please uh, reach out and let me know. Uh, but they said it's little, advisors are realising that their business in some cases is a bit like the beach house, um, where for years they've just sort of done small renovations and they've you know put, put a new roof on or replaced a bit of the wall. They've now realised that they actually need to start from scratch um, yeah. and that they you know, really are looking at the foundations and building up from there. Yeah. And, that, and that just creates an opportunity for the whole industry to really uh, you know move, move forward at a pretty rapid pace. Yeah,
2: I think on reflection too, what happened with um, all these reforms that we've been through, um, we were so focused on reform and compliance that innovation got put to the back burner a lot and um, all of this is coming at once. So there's the fragmentation in the industry but and at the same time everyone's going, wow, where's all the innovation been? And I'm probably thinking, you know, back 12, 18 months ago and all of a sudden everyone's waking up at every level going, okay, we need to get on the innovation bandwagon. We need to get, we need to think of better ways to do things. So there's been a lot of environmental factors that have actually just changed people's attitudes where we're moving from that compliance total thinking to
0: we need to innovate better ways. Yeah, no, definitely. Look, uh, it's been a great conversation, Paul and Matt, and um, thanks very much for all your insights. Thank you. Thank you.